0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for this morning is our gospel lesson, which is recorded for us in Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. To get us back into that text, I'd like to read just the final verses for you again, beginning at verse 49. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves, and be at peace with one another. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, salt is a very precious commodity. It is useful for our health, for our bodies, necessary for us to live and to survive. It is useful to flavor our food. It is also useful to preserve food. Salt also has its medicinal purposes and antiseptic purposes as well. Salt is something that is very good. In our lesson for today, Jesus invites his disciples, his followers, to have salt in themselves. And What did he mean by that? Was he temp- simply telling them to put a little salt on their food or to simply make sure that they consume a bit of salt for good health? Well, certainly, he must mean something much more, right? As we think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 as he said that his followers, he described them as being the salt of the earth, those that knew God's word. The word had been revealed to them that they were different, they were the flavor or salt of the earth. But here he doesn't call his followers salt. Rather, he encourages them to be salted, to be seasoned by salt. Therefore, we understand that it must be referring to the word itself, God's word, that it might be in them, that it might dwell in them richly. that They might be seasoned by that word. Just as salt at times can burn, but also at times be good and beneficial and provide flavor, so also God's word. It can burn as we hear the harshness of God's law, but also comfort and be beneficial through the gospel of salvation. As God encourages us today to have the salt of his word, let us understand that that salt really fosters peace, peace in our lives and peace among us as Christians. Many in our world today deny the existence of hell. And there are yet others, even Christians, that want to say that Yeah, maybe hell is real, but God, a loving God, would never send anyone to such a terrible place. Well, what is true? Is hell real? Does God actually send people there? Or is it the opposite? If we look closely at what God's Word says, even before us today, we see that hell is a very real place and a very terrible place. When Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus, he described the rich man as dying and going to hell. Immediately, he goes to hell. And he describes that place as horrific. A place of torment. Sometimes people want to imagine that hell is this amazingly decadent, sinful party filled with sex, drugs, and rock and roll forever. That's not what the Bible describes. Describes a terrible place of torture, of torment, as that rich man calls out to Father Abraham just wishing that he would provide one small drop of water on his tongue through Lazarus to give him just a bit of relief from that suffering and torment there in hell. A number of years ago when we were living down in Florida, my wife and I decided to go to the famous dinner show, Medieval Times. Maybe you've heard of this company. As we were uh, waiting to get our spot there, waiting for the previous uh, show to let out and to uh, be able to go on in, we decided to spend a little time touring some of the buildings they had on site there, and they had a bit of a museum of medieval items that they had collected over the years. And I distinctly remember one of those buildings in particular housed torture devices that were used in the Middle Ages. In fact... They were so graphic and so horrible that they even had warnings, children, don't enter this building here. Remember, as we looked at them carefully, just imagining what it would be like to have to suffer such torture, imagining all of those horrific devices there used. I think the only comfort I had was the thought that such an individual, while they would suffer tremendously for a bit of time, there would be at least some relief in death, that eventually they'd run out of blood, eventually they would just collapse and give up, eventually they would die, and that would be the end of that horrific torture and suffering. However, not so with hell. In fact, perhaps that thought alone makes hell the most horrific of places, as Jesus himself in God's Word describes it for us today as he says, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. as yes, hell is a horrific and terrible place of suffering and torment without end. This is why Jesus is so serious in our lesson for today. So serious when he talks about sin, so serious when he talks about offending the weak because he doesn't want anybody to go there. Anybody to suffer that fate for all eternity. And so, very graphically, he tells his disciples that if something, if something in their lives, something on their person causes them to sin, sin that leads to judgment, sin that leads to hell, cut it out, cut it off. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, he says. What's the point there? point is really twofold. First is the seriousness of sin. If there is something in your life, whether it be something on your body, something outside of you that is leading you astray, that is leading you into sin, cut it out. Because it's it's just not worth it. It's not worth risking an eternity in hell for that sin. And the second point is this. The impossibility of getting rid of everything in us that causes sin. Imagine if it was the case that that temptation to steal was merely in your hand and you cut it off. Or that temptation to lust was merely in your eye and you plucked it out. Can we actually get rid of sin so easily? Is the sin really in our hands? Is the sin really in our eyes? Sin is truly much deeper, isn't it? Even if we didn't have both eyes, even if we didn't have both hands, we could still be greedy. We could still be filled with lust, couldn't we? Why? Because sin doesn't start or isn't there in our hands. Sin isn't in our eyes. Sin is in our hearts. Sin is in our minds. The only way to truly get rid of sin would be to pluck out our hearts, would be to amputate our heads. Jesus would have us see this truth too, especially as the disciples that day. As he mentions, as it mentions in our text, what they were doing, right? That they they saw an individual that was casting out demons in Jesus' name and apparently was successful at doing it. Yet they chastise him. They, They tell him to stop. Why? Because they're jealous of him. This man hadn't been with them the whole time, hadn't been with the twelve, hadn't given up an entire life to follow Jesus like they had. Why should he get all of these perks and blessings? And they chastise him for doing this. Apparently this man must have had faith in Jesus. This man must have believed that Jesus was the Son of God, must have believed that his name was powerful to cast out demons as he was using it disciples are shown by Jesus that they must humble themselves. And though they think themselves much greater than this man as they show themselves to be prideful and arrogant, really they too are filled with sin. They too are in danger of hellfire, as Jesus shows in our lesson for today. What a good reminder for us as we think about our own lives. Not only is our sin damning, the sins that we commit, but also our sin can lead others astray. What a serious thing that is. Jesus mentions in our lesson, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall into sin, it would be better for him if he were thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around his neck. Sin is serious. Hell is real. Woe to anyone that would lead one that is little in faith astray. Astray from God's Word. yet how this reminds us of how we have failed even here. At times, providing a bad example in our own lives, engaging in very open sin, maybe in front of our own kids, our own loved ones, our own friends, those may be weak in faith. Maybe leading them to think that sin isn't, after all, that terrible. After all, this person who is a strong Christian, they do this thing, so what big of danger is it for me? Or at other times, being like the disciples and harshly rebuking rather than speaking the truth in love and truly caring for one another. As Jesus would have us see the seriousness of sin and the reality of hell in our lesson for today. As I mentioned earlier, God's Word, like salt, can have that property of burning, providing a, a burning sensation. As God's words pricks our consciences, as it exposes our sin, as it humbles us before God, God's Word can also be used in that very beneficial way, can't it? For God's Word doesn't merely condemn our sin. God's Word doesn't only speak of the fires of hell. But God's Word also speaks of the way of salvation, the way out, the way of escape, the way to eternal life. John chapter 6, Jesus said, Amen, Amen. I tell you, the one who believes in me has eternal life. You see, Jesus points to himself as the escape from hell, and he provides that through his word that tells us through him we need not worry in fear about the punishment for our sins because Christ himself has paid the price, and through him there is eternal life. And Though we see a very vivid description of eternal destruction, eternal hell in our text for today, The Bible, God's word, that salt is also filled with a blessed description of heaven. As we think of what the Apostle John wrote in the book of Revelation, as he describes that glorious place, they will never be hungry or thirst ever again. The sun will never beat upon them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's the exact opposite of that picture of torture forever in hell, isn't it? That place of suffering, of fire without end, as it describes heaven as being that place without scorching heat, the place without need that we're provided for by the Lamb at the center of the throne. What a beautiful picture of heaven, heaven that is ours through our Savior Jesus Christ. We think about those who have done the most good for the church, the most good in proclaiming the good news of salvation. Certainly, we must list among those the famous Dr. Martin Luther. Think about Luther's work for the church, spreading the good news of salvation, what the word of God clearly said concerning salvation, that is, by grace you have been saved through faith. This precious message of salvation, shared through many volumes that he wrote, through many sermons that he preached, affected so many millions of lives at his time and well beyond even down today. And yet, it is said that when Luther died on February 12th of 1546, that a small piece of paper was found nearby. A piece of paper written in Luther's own hand, Among the words written there was written this short phrase, we are beggars, it is true. How striking to think. Disciples in our lesson today thought of themselves as far greater than this other individual as they chastised him for casting out demons, for doing the work of God. Certainly we can think of Luther as well, who can be named greater than him doing the work of God and yet Even Luther himself confessed, we are beggars. He himself included beggars before God. Now true it is, as we see our sin, we are truly beggars, undeserving of any grace and mercy of God because of our sin, but we are beggars that have received food, aren't we? Salt is a very precious commodity, as I mentioned. So precious that even... Cultures at times have have used it for currency. Cultures at times, I was just researching this this past week, have even considered it as valuable as gold. Imagine that. One culture I came across in in the 6th century in Africa actually traded an ounce of salt for an ounce of gold. Imagine salt being so valuable, something that's so common to us today in our own American culture being worth its weight in gold? Hard to even imagine that. Can we say the same thing about the salt of God's Word? Is it worth its weight in gold? Is itself more valuable than gold? Well certainly yes, because God's Word provides us the escape, the way out of suffering forever in hell, as it points us to Christ our Savior, the One who Himself bore our sins in His body who himself suffered hell on the cross in our place, as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of our sins have been paid for in Christ. All of the suffering has been carried out by him. And through him, we have the certain hope of everlasting life. This is what God's word declares. What a comfort and blessing, what peace that brings to us as Christians. Evangelism has sometimes been described in this simple way, that it is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Well, you know where the salt is, the salt of God's Word that does burn as it exposes our sin, but also provides that tremendous benefit and blessing and flavor for our lives as it points us to Christ, our Savior. May that word of God cut us down, cut down our pride, humble us, but also remind us of the glories that are ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. May that word dwell in us richly as God's word encourages us. As we share that word with one another, may it also salt our lives. That peace that we know, that peace that we can share with each other, encouraging rather than discouraging in the faith. Boosting up rather than tearing down. As we point to the fact that all of us, yes, are beggars, but all of us have received the food, the nourishment, the salt of God's word. that points us to everlasting life through Christ Jesus our, our Lord. All glory and honor and praise be to him now and forevermore. Amen. Invite the congregation to please rise.